0: Welcome to Worship with Dawson Memorial Baptist Church. At Dawson, we seek to be found faithful as God's people as we become and help others become faithful servants of Jesus Christ. Now join us as we worship God through the teaching of His Word in today's message. Church, as we continue to worship, would you take your copy of God's Word, turn with me to the book of 1 John as we continue In our series this summer, 1 John chapter 3, specifically verses 1 through 10, this morning. 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. In your Pew Bible, you'll find that on page 1022, so feel free to turn there also. Three of the most memorable moments of my life, no doubt, are the birth of my boys, Hayden, Luke, and Jonathan. I can tell you many of the details of those days, they're etched. In my mind, they're etched in my heart. The uh, description of the delivery room, I, I remember very well. I remember the, the great sort of cloud of witnesses that comes, especially at the birth of, of grandchildren. And so the grandparents that came and the aunts and the uncles that came and friends that came to to see our boys as they were brought here into this earth, and one of the things that is, is always a theme of those conversations are the observations of what they look like in comparison to what we look like, Danielle and myself, as we were born, and so we'd have like my mom say, David, I think I think he's got, Hayden's got your hair. Or, or uh, I think uh, Danielle, I think Luke's got your eyes here. And all of those types of observations, those specific observations of your children and those things that we pass down through just genetics, the, the very uh, DNA of ourselves that go from one generation to the next generation that are observable and seeable. These are types of things that we can see in our biological families. And John in 1 John chapter 3, as we continue in our study, he, he wants to talk about the family resemblance, but he, he, he talks not about a, a biological family resemblance, but he talks about a spiritual family resemblance that all of us who are sons and daughters of the most high God as we resemble and we're growing in the very image of our Savior and God's son, Jesus. This is the word of the Lord that we find In 1 John chapter three, starting in verse one, would you read along with me in your copy of God's word? See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he can't keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not, who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The three truths I want us to see in this passage here, let's start in verse one through verse 10 here. Three truths as we think of the family resemblance that we have as sons and daughters of the most high God. And the first truth that is an invitation from this passage to you and to me is to bask in the love of your heavenly father. Bask in the love of your heavenly father. Look again with me at verse one. See what kind of love the father has given to us that we should be called children of God and so we are. That first word, lead off hitter of of the third chapter right there, I want you to circle it, I want you to underline, I want you to put a star beside it. See, English standard version here. The original language of the New Testament, uh, the idea is to sort of behold, To ponder, to study, Spurgeon, the great the great British pastor from a century ago, he he says that this this word here is an invitation to pry into the secret, pry into the secret. Behold, bask, uh, get, get your attention that is so diverted by the distractions and be single minded in the pursuit of what is before you here. This is what John is calling us to look at. Put aside the distractions. So last Tuesday, I took a, a group of boys who had football a little bit late to Breakaway there in Asheville. Breakaway is our student ministry camp and we had a, a great crowd of about 150 adults and students that were at Breakaway in Asheville. And so after football practice, four, five of us, four boys, we got together and off we go. And as I was looking at the different ways, there's about three different ways. There are multiple ways you can get to Asheville, but but one way is to go through Atlanta. I thought to myself, I'm not really sure that's the best way. I'm not sure that's the best way. But Google Maps told me that'd be the quickest way. It was not the quickest way to get there. We crawled, and I mean, crawled through Atlanta and we took us forever to get through Atlanta. We stopped for dinner and then we still have hours ahead of us. Now, many of you know, if you're going to Asheville through Atlanta here, once you get into uh, north of Atlanta and you get out sort of the, the, the reach of Atlanta, you're gonna be in a really, really beautiful part of North Georgia. And you're going up through the foothills there of the Smokies, Nantahala National Forest. You're gonna drive through that. And then you're gonna go up into the Smoky Mountain, you know, uh, just, uh, uh, what am I trying to say right there? It's a beautiful place right there. It's, a, it's really beautiful, what you're traveling to drive through right there. The, uh, the National Parkway is what I was trying to get to as you're driving up there in Smokies. And there, it's been a long, we've been in the vehicle for about six hours at this time here and they're zoned out, these four guys, I'm sort of zoned out, really trying to get there. It's about 7.30, 7.45. And I just hear from the back, somebody says, hey guys, look. And what had happened is we come over a hill there and right before us were just the foothills of the Smokies and then the sun was setting and it was just this beautiful sight to behold. It was so beautiful that it captured the attention of these boys, it captured the attention of these boys that were sleeping in the back. It captured the attention of these boys that had their phones in the back. It, it stopped them so much they said, uh, Pastor David, hey, can we stop and take a picture? And I said to that, no, we're not gonna stop. <laughs> take it in, we're, we, we still gotta get here guys. <laughs> So I do not have a picture to show you of this, but I have the story to tell you that it, it, captured, it captured their imagination, the beauty of it. And this is what John is saying is he's saying, hey, put, put down the phones, put down the distractions and, and give yourself to the sight to behold that is before you. And what is that sight that John is calling us to behold? Do you know what that sight is? The sight is that we are called children of God. What John wants us to behold is the adopted love of the father. He wants us to behold how precious it is that we are brought into the family of God. Now, many of you in this sanctuary, you've traveled down the road of of adoption. And that's been a very significant part of the makeup of your family. Every church that I've pastored have had these beautiful stories of adoption, domestic, international adoption, Years ago in a previous church, I remember the Hillman family that, that adopted this beautiful young lady, Sue Ling, and they knew that when they adopted her, it was gonna take a long time. It took them over two years. She was being adopted from China. They knew that when they brought her back stateside, that it was going to require, she was gonna require extensive surgery stateside. She's a, a, she has a beautiful spirit and loves Jesus. She's a delight to be around and it's a delight to see her a part of that family. But the cost... The cost of time, the cost of emotional energy, the cost financially was was significant. And it was worth it in every way. But you do need to understand that that the cost of adoption is is something that is rewarded with with the change that is before that child. There's a seismic impact. Every story of adoption, the details are different, no doubt. But the future of that adopted child is going to be shaped in a very significant way through the process of adoption. Now, every story is different and we need not romanticize adoption by any stretch of the imagination. But but adoption changes the environment of that child. It's going to change the future relationships of that child. Oftentimes, it's going to change the educational pursuits of that child. Sometimes it will even change the language that is going to be spoken by that child, the future opportunities that that child will have. There's there's, uh, much that is in their future for she or for uh, him that are going to be permanently altered. And what John is saying is, behold, stop. Take take note of the future prospects of your life right now as a son and daughter of the most high God and the eternity that is ahead for you that is forever altered by the love of God. And it took time for your adoption. It it actually took 33 years of Jesus's life as he, he embodied humanity here on this earth. It also cost him, it cost him his very life, his sacrificial death upon the cross for the forgiveness of your sin. This is the price that was paid to bring you into the family of God so that now we who are sinners, alienated from him, a holy God, we're now able to be called sons and daughters of the most high God. This is what he has done for us. And this is what we've received. If you are a child of God, you've received a new name, his name. You've received a new legal standing. You're an heir now of his righteousness, his goodness, his perfection, his salvation. It is yours now legally because his standing is your standing. You've received a new family. Your your biological family It is not the end. Your adopted family here on earth is not the end. If you are a child of the most high God, you are a part of a family that's much larger than your nuclear family, your extended family here on earth. You're, You're a part of a spiritual family. That's why every person that is a follower of Jesus that is sitting in the sanctuary, you can look around and you can see faces that you do not know the names of these people. You on the floor, you can look up here in the transepts and say, maybe I recognize some of these people, but hundreds of these people, I don't know. But you understand they're brothers and they're sisters. That through Jesus, that they're a part of your family here. This is what you've received in Christ. You've received a new family. And more than this, what no adopted parent can give, God gives to us. He implants in us his heart, his mind, his passions, himself through the spirit of God so that over time we are able to look like the image of his very son. This is what he has given to all of us that are here this morning. So John says, behold, see, bask in the love of your heavenly father. That's not all he says though. Secondly, this morning he says that we are called as sons and daughters of the most high God to anticipate the reunion with your heavenly father. Notice again in verse two, the word of the Lord reads, beloved, we are God's children when? Now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So you are fully, a child of God right now, but you are not yet fully formed into the image of his son, that he's still got some work in you. Philippians 1.6, it says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, that there's no Christian in this sanctuary this morning whose best days are not ahead. No matter how, no, no matter how many miles you have on the odometer of your life, your best days are ahead. No matter how much you look in the rear view mirror of your life and say, boy, we've, I've traveled a long way, your best days are ahead. God has not finished working in any of us that are here today that to call him father and call him Lord. Our best days are ahead. And what John is saying here is, is that one day we will receive To from him, we will receive our full inheritance and we'll receive that when we see him face to face. There are two ways that you can receive that inheritance and see him face to face and that's either in your death or in his second coming. But there will be a day that we will stand before him and we will not see him as through a veil, but we will look into his grandeur and beauty and perfection and then we'll be fully formed fully completed. There's a theological concept that we are already his, but we are not yet fully formed. We're not fully yet receiving the inheritance that is coming our way. I mean, how many people would go up to an 11-year-old, a fifth grader, and say to that 11-year-old, hey, I just want you to know that this is as good as it gets right here, 11 years old. How many of you would go up to a sixth grader and say, hey, you better enjoy your first year of middle school because there's nothing better than right now. Now, I mean, you wouldn't say that to that young boy. You wouldn't say that to that young boy because that that young boy who's five foot one might very well be six foot five in the course of a decade. He's got some growing to do. You would not say that to that sixth grader or that fifth grader, that 11 year old or that 12 year old because you know, emotionally, they still have some growth to be done in them intellectually and physically. And so it is spiritually for us, that there is a road of development that is before all of us that comes to the finish line when we see him in heaven. And then we receive our full inheritance. One of the greatest preachers of the 20th century is a preacher by the name of E.V. Hill. Some of you are familiar with E.V. Hill. He's the pastor of Mount Zion Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles. He went there in the mid-60s and stayed there for four decades of his ministering life until he died in the early 2000s. Fantastic preacher, gifted preacher. Heard a story Evie Hill told one time of in the late sixties he had to hire a new administrative assistant. He hired a young lady who was nineteen years old by the name of Natalie Cole. And one of his church members a couple of days later came to him and said, "Pastor, do you know who you hired as your administrative assistant?" And he said, "Yes, I hired Natalie Cole. You have a fine young lady, nineteen years old, grew up here in Los Angeles." No, Pastor, do you know who you hired as your? administrative assistant, oh, you just, Natalie Cole, 19 years old, grew up here in Los Angeles. Obviously pastor, you don't know who you hired as your administrative assistant. And then he began to inform him, you hired Nat King Cole's daughter. That's who you hired as your administrative assistant. Now in the first service, half of the congregation did not know who Nat King Cole was. Now I'm thinking that you know who Nat King Cole is born in Montgomery, unforgettable, actor, jazz pianist, tremendous vocalist. But for the purpose of this story, foremost was the daughter or the father of Natalie Cole. Natalie Cole is a fantastic artist in her own right. And many of you know that. Pastor Hill, Evie Hill called in Natalie Cole the next morning and said, I had no idea who your dad was? Why didn't you tell me who your dad was?" And she replied, well, I didn't know that that was a prerequisite for me to get this job. And he said, of course it wasn't. And then he began to pry because he knew of the acclaim and he knew of the success and and he knew too of the wealth of her father. And he he really began to uh, ask the question, why is Nat King Cole's daughter interviewing and now as my secretary. And so she realized what he was asking. And he said, "I I can answer your question. My father has provided exceptionally for me, but I will not come into the fullness of that inheritance until I am 21 years old. So for the next two years, it'd be a joy to be your administrative assistant. And for all of us that are here, we stand in a similar place where the wealth and riches that are ours in Christ, his perfection, his righteousness, the perfect communion of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, all of this is ours right now in the sense that we are children of the most high God, but we will not receive that inheritance fully until the day that is ahead. And and we look forward to that day that day when fades the golden sun beneath the rosy tinted west when my blessed Lord will say to each of us who are child, children of the most high God, well done. And we shall enter into his rest and we shall see him face to face. And we're gonna tell a story. And that story is that we're saved by grace. That's what's ahead. No matter how many years you have in your life, your best days are still ahead. So anticipate that heavenly reunion. Bask and the goodness, the depth of his love for us. And finally this morning, until we meet him in death, until we meet him in his second coming, we have a calling upon our life to reflect the purity of our heavenly father. Uh, The greatest portion of this passage is devoted to this theme of how we are to live right now. Not in the great by and by, but right here. What is the calling upon our life? Well, verses three through 10 talks about this calling to pursue holiness, to flee from sin, that that sin is not the overarching characteristic of our life, but that we who are saved by and being shaped into the image of the son, Jesus, that we are to reflect the purity of our heavenly father. Every biological child is going to pick up things through just that process of genetics and the DNA that is in them from their mom and their dad but it's not just the way they look and it's not just the way that they walk. It is not just their perspective intellectually. There are things in the environment that parents pass down to their children because of the proximity that they have with them, interest, hobbies. These types of things we pass down, our our boys have picked up to us things that were passed down to Danielle. Uh, our, Our boys can quote endless lines from Andy Griffith. You know why? because their mom can quote endless lines from Andy Griffith. I I pass down to our boys a great love for the arts and a great love for high culture. And so they can, they can, why are you laughing? Why are you laughing? I didn't even get to the punchline of this joke and you're already laughing here. So I was going to say before you, 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 you beat me to it that I passed down through them this great love for Sylvester Stallone and Rocky II and Rocky Three and Rocky IV. But obviously you knew that's where I was going with that. So, but you get where I'm going. As children, we reflect things that are important to our parents. We we get things passed down to us that are learned behaviors that shape us. And we, we are spiritually then related to God as his children. The DNA of the Holy Spirit dwells in us. But more than that, we're called to live in an expectation of our father to reflect, to think, to talk, to behave, to follow him, to walk in communion with him and to pursue holiness. Now, someone in the sanctuary is itching right now to raise their hand in protest and say, pastor, that's impossible. Like that, that, that's impossible because God is perfect. He's perfect in his holiness. And obviously all of us here are well aware that we are imperfect. We are well aware of our need for a savior because we live with our sinfulness. So of course, we are not striving for perfection here, but we are called to strive to live holy lives. Now go back to these passages. Look again at verse three. Look again at verse six. Look again at verse nine and hear them. Everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse three. No one, verse six, who abides in him keeps on sinning. Notice the continual nature of this. Keeps on sinning, sinning, dwells in sin. No one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him, verse six. Verse nine, no one born of God. Again, notice the emphasis makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Now, John is not calling us to perfection here. He has has no concept of us coming to this place as Christians here on earth that we attain to this this higher spiritual level of sinless perfectionism. We know this from experience, but we also know it from the word of God. In 1 John 1, verse nine, he says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In the very next verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 10, he says, if you say you are sinless, you are a liar. So he is not calling us to this place of sinless perfectionism, but he is calling us very clearly in this passage to not become cozy and comfortable with what we are called to evict from the home of our heart. He, he is calling us to pursue Holiness, to pursue righteousness. Now, every one of us here, Luther was right. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, theologian, and preacher. We are simultaneously sinners and saints. And on the road of our growth in Christ here, there should be no place for ongoing self-endorsing habits of sin that we have allowed to become a part of our lives and to dwell in our heart. So when we go through life, John is calling us to to not be comfortable with sin. John is calling us in this passage as, as a reminder that Christians, all of us will commit sins and we will struggle with sin, but we're called not to wallow in it and we're called not to normalize it. And we are called finally not to explain sin away. We're called to daily issue an eviction notice to sin and to not make a space to shelter it and to feed it as a roommate in our heart. It is an intruder. It is an intruder. It's not a pet that you're called to feed or to shelter. Before I came to Dawson, I was pastoring in Mississippi and we lived in a house that was on the corner of a cul-de-sac God, you probably are familiar with this. We, we had a communal cat. We had a cul-de-sac cat. No, the cat wasn't anyone's cat, but it seemed to be a cat that found its place on our cul-de-sac. So there wasn't a day that would go by where we wouldn't see the cat. There wasn't a day that would go by that, that our boys, especially when they were younger, were not tempted for us to, to feed and to, to give shelter to. And so I told them, hey, guys, you can name that cat. But there's only one name that is a candidate for that cat. And that is Nacho, because that's Nacho Cat right there. (laughs) (laughs) We're not going to feed that cat. We're not going to make that cat comfortable at our address here. So you can see that cat, but that cat is not to dwell at our house here. Now, at the end of the day, 1 John chapter 3 is a calling to us. I ask you this morning of course you sin, but are you feeding the stray? Are you providing a shelter in the home of your heart for what God is calling you to evict? Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our family of faith or to learn how to become a follower of Jesus, please visit DawsonChurch.org. Until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all.